0: We're going to be talking about wholehearted love. Should be a safe topic, right? Maybe not. We'll see. Um, so, uh, if you want to pull your notes out, uh, you can follow along or not. Uh, we'll throw scriptures up there. You can open your Bible. Uh, we give you lots of options. So, what I want to start with is Jesus refers to something in the New Testament, Matthew 22 as the first and great commandment. How many of you are familiar with the first and great commandment? I was hoping for more hands. Okay. Well, you will be uh, after today. We're going to talk about it a lot. The first and great commandment. Maybe you are familiar with it and just didn't realize it was the first and great commandment. But it is this. You can find it in three of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it is... Uh, some of them use three of these terms, some of them use four. So it comes down to this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love what uh, Peter Lord used to say uh, in his you know, accent, which is better. It's always better with an accent. Uh, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and then do what you want. And it really works if you do the first part right. So uh, love God... With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I emphasized heart because we're going to be talking about wholehearted love here. Now, uh, we have lots of ideas about what that means. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably not get in so much to talking about what it means. I'll let you figure it out. I do want to ask two questions today. And the first one is this. Uh, I don't know exactly uh, what it means. We could probably debate for a long time. Uh, what it means to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But I do know it sounds intense. Does it sound intense to you? Yeah. Can we agree that this is intense? Or that uh, he's asking us to love him intensely? Yeah? yeah. Okay, good. You guys are you afraid I'm tricking you, right? I'm not. I'm just, just asking a question. So, if we agree that this is intense then we should ask the question, do you love God with this kind of intensity? Do I love God with this kind of intensity? This is a good question to ask ourselves. This is the great first commandment. So we ought to occasionally go, are we doing this? Now, I'm not going to try and answer that either because Rachel and I asked this question of ourselves. We had to drive somewhere this weekend, so we had about a half an hour, and we spent the whole half an hour trying to answer whether or not we love God with this kind of intensity. And so we decided it was probably not a yes or no answer uh, since we spent a whole half an hour playing with it. My goal is not that you go away in the next couple minutes with an answer to this question. My goal is that you're pondering this. and You're going, am I, am I intensely loving God? And, and how do I do that? And what's that look like? And uh, all those things. And so I'm not going to answer it for you, I'm going to try and, and bring you uh, toward pondering that. And then the second question will even be more important. But before we get to that, uh, I do want to do one thing that I know it isn't. There's one thing in the Bible that I know loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength is not. And I want to warn you off of that, okay? And uh, this is going to be a big beware. Beware of love as an obligation because when you call something a commandment, that sounds like an obligation, doesn't it? I command you to do this. And it's easy to feel like, well, that's an obligation. I have to do that now. If I don't do that, I'm in trouble, right? But the odd thing is, uh, even though it's called a commandment, there's actually a danger of looking at this, of looking at love as an obligation. Now, I'm going to give you an example. The best example I can give you is marriage. In Matthew, man, how many of you know what uh, Ephesians 5.25 says? One guy. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Women, how many of you know what Ephesians 5.25 says? Husbands love. Yeah, they all know that. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Now, is that a command? Is that an obligation? Yes. Yeah. So the question is, how comfortable are we, men and women, with our spouse uh, just loving us out of obligation? I'll give you an example. And I know this was a long time ago. I don't remember when it was, but I had a Palm Pilot, so that helps. Okay? And in my Palm Pilot, I'm kind of organized, and and I like to-dos, and I like getting rid of my to-dos, and... All that stuff, right? So, in my Palm Pilot, I have my to-dos. I still, I, I have an iPhone now, uh, but I still live by my calendar. What am I doing today? And If I didn't write it down, it probably won't happen. In fact, Gary used to give me stuff, and he would wait to see if I wrote it down, because he knew, he knew it didn't count until I wrote it down. So, uh, so I'm using my Palm Pilot, my daily thing. And and it was one of those times where Rachel had asked for something reasonable from a husband. I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was more hugs. I'm not a particularly huggy person, so I apparently need to be reminded that I should hug more, right? Uh, Just so, you know, uh, you guys, you're probably, you know, thinking, uh, you know, oh man, Rachel and Bonnie and... uh, uh, brandy haven't made. They're married to pastors. Uh, but I just want to remind you, they're still married to men. So there is that. Anyway, um, so this thought occurred to me. Uh, ladies, be prepared to groan. Uh, the thought occurred to me, what if I put a daily reminder in my Palm Pilot to hug Rachel? Right? Any groans? I did not do that, to my credit, I didn't actually do it, because just something felt wrong about hugging Rachel being a to-do on my list. (laughs) You understand? That's what I'm talking about when we begin to see love as an obligation, when we begin to see the great commandment as what do I need to do? for God, what does God want from me, what, does, uh, what do I need to do to get God's favor or to get God's, all those things, uh, I don't think that's what God wants, and so we have to be careful about that word commandment. I think we really have to be careful about falling into the trap uh, of a religious response, of seeing uh, the great commandment, our love for God, as an obligation, right? Does that make sense? Because obligatory love, I believe, uh, and actually before I go there, uh, let me just reinforce this. The Bible talks a lot about marriage, and we're going to hit that a little bit more. But uh, again, men and women, or just if you're not married yet, but you're loving someone and thinking you might want to marry them, uh, you understand the difference between them being obligated and them doing it because they love you. How many of you want the second one, All right? And why would God be any different, right? And so we get that. So I want you to understand this because obligatory love, I believe, creates Pharisees who do the rules, who do the law, who do the stuff, but not from the heart. And I'll show you in the Bible where we see that. In Isaiah 29... Isaiah is prophesying about Israel, and he says this. He says, Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, everything they say is good, but have removed their hearts far from me. Remember we once? Love with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love from a heart. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. So, People are going to uh, their leaders and saying, how do I fear God? And they're saying, well, you keep this commandment, you do this thing, you do that. Well, what, if, what if my heart's not in it? It doesn't matter. As long as you're doing these things, you're fearing God. Is that what God's really saying? Apparently not. Because God had a problem with uh, Israel in this heart posture. Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but it removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. Interestingly, if you keep reading, uh, he says, because of this, he's going to take away the wisdom of their wise men. So this may explain a lot of our political situation right now. Um, seriously, it may be our fault, uh, church. So it's important that we get this before we completely have no wise men left. Um, so... The reason I say this creates Pharisees is uh, twice in in, uh, Matthew and in Mark, we see Jesus quoting this to the Pharisees. The Pharisees come to him and say, hey, we just have a question. Uh, Why don't your disciples keep the commandments? And they were being very picky about the commandments. And Jesus does something really interesting. He quotes Isaiah 29, 13, and he looks at the Pharisees and he goes, hey, guys, this verse... It's about you. Isaiah was writing about you, which, you know, they found somewhat, I think, shocking and less edifying than you'd believe. But Jesus says, this is what you're doing, guys. Just the question, aren't your disciples keeping the commandments? You're missing the whole point, right? And so I want you to see, it's, we're going to come back off this here in a minute, uh, but I want you to keep in the back of your mind, it's really important that we don't fall into the trap of religious love, of obligatory love, uh, or we'll end up just being Pharisees trying to do stuff to earn God's love, uh, or, uh, or our idea of the fear of God will just be obeying the rules, not uh, a deep relationship with him. You understand? So the nature of love demands that it be voluntary and not obligatory. The very nature of love demands voluntary love. You said that a few minutes ago when I asked you, would you be satisfied uh, with your spouse just being obligated to love you? And most of you said no, right? I've asked this before when I've tried to explain stuff to people. Uh, uh, This works better with single people. said, so if you could make the person that you're in love with love you, you could snap your fingers and, and uh, just make them love you, would you do it? And I've never had anyone say yes. Why? They want them to choose to do it. If they made them do it, they don't really love them, right? Well, God could snap his fingers and make us love him, but he doesn't. He instead gave us free will. This concept is the entire explanation of free will. God desires voluntary love, and so he's given us every other choice possible, hoping we will choose to love him. Right? This also explains that age-old question, why is evil in the earth? Because God desires voluntary love, so he's given us every other choice. You have the option right now, if you want to, to choose to be just as evil as you want to be, and God will let you do that for a time. Now, he will bring all of our lives into final judgment, but you get that option because he wants voluntary love, and for him to have voluntary love, you have to have every possible choice. Does that make sense? So it's a big deal that we get that God wants voluntary love, that we don't fall into the trap of obligatory love. Right? So, we've asked the question that we're going to ponder, and we're going to be looking, you're going to really understand the first commandment in a better way, I think, after today. Uh, We're looking at, do you love God with this intensity? I think a way better question to ponder, and you should spend, like, the rest of your life pondering this question, is, does God love you with this intensity? Or has God asked you to love with more intensity that He's willing to? Does God love you with all of his heart and mind and soul and strength? That's worth pondering. Well, let's find out. Now, I want to talk about something called the Shema. And uh, it's where the great commandment comes from. Uh, The word Shema means here. So it's the here because it starts with here, O Israel. Uh, Let me read it to you. It's in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. Says, and Jared can say it in Hebrew, right, Jared? All right, man. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. Now, this is the Shema. It is super famous, very well known. Every uh, Orthodox Jewish believer is probably uh, declaring or saying this prayer twice a day morning and evening every synagogue is singing this the cantors are singing this every synagogue uh, this is the our father of the old testament okay uh, all of you can probably recite the our father right our father we in heaven it's the same thing uh, this is the thing that every uh, jew can recite it is the big deal and it is why Uh, When the question came up, what's the greatest commandment, they all got the answer right because they've been saying this daily, twice a day. In fact, the Pharisees, the same Pharisees that we read about that did not get uh, the love part, that were just doing the obligatory part, uh, I guarantee you they were quoting this at least twice a day. Uh, They probably had it in a phylactery. On their forehead, a little piece of paper with this verse written down. You'll understand why in a minute. Probably had it on their door. Is that the is it mezuzah? Is that right? The mezuzah? Uh, and they would touch it, kiss it. So it went out the door, right? It's possible that they were honoring that passage but didn't really know what it meant. Good. It's important that we know what it means. So, the Shema, the great hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, uh, several words in Hebrew are a lot bigger than just one word. I'm not entirely sure how this works because I don't speak Hebrew, but they, they encompass more than a simple word. And Shema is one of those words. It doesn't just mean hear. It's emphatic. It means hear, understand, Heed, obey, proclaim, or in other words, really hear, kind of like a hear ye, hear ye, right? Uh, So it's it's a shout, hear this, really hear this, right? And he says, really hear, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. Now, I've been thinking about this, because obviously this is important. And there's two questions uh, that come up because there's two parts of this. The Lord is one, you should love the Lord. Part one, the Lord is one. Part two, you should love the Lord. So I have two questions. Why is this declaration so important? And I guarantee you, it's not just a declaration of monotheism. It is not. The Lord is one. And why is the Lord is one? Why is this? Now catch this. This is the one thing God is saying Twice a day, God is emphasizing, I really want you to know this, really hear, really heed, really proclaim, really get this, God is one. So, this is important that we understand. Why is it paired with a wholehearted love response? And the response to God being one is love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Wholehearted love response, right? Well, here's a clue. The word one uh, in the Shema is the exact same word one as in Genesis 2.24, where God says, a husband shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's not talking about God, is, um, it's not monotheism, it's unity, it's uh, agreement, it's, uh, it's joining together. Like in a marriage, one flesh, right? Now, have you noticed in both the Old and New Testament how often God uses marriage language? Isaiah uh, casts Israel when they had gone after other gods as an unfaithful bride. Hosea, the whole book of Hosea, is about casting Israel as an unfaithful bride. The New Testament, the church is the bride of Christ, right? So this marriage theme carries a lot, and we need to see that in this uh, when we're looking at this. Now, the biggest—I'm uh, going to make a statement, which you may not believe, but I'll, I'll uh, give you some Bible on here in a second. I don't think he's saying one just unity. I think he's saying I think one equals love. I think God is saying in this Shema, behold. Here, understand we really love each other. We are incredibly united in love. Now, let me give you something to help you while I think, while I think one equals love. And it's in John 17. This is uh, Jesus praying right before he goes to the cross. And he's praying for us. I'm going to read you verses 20 through 26. I want you to listen for the word one and the word love. And see if they sound like he's talking about the same thing to you. Okay? I do not pray for these alone. But also for those who will believe in me through the word. That they may be one. As you father are in me. And I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. You See that? One. Unity. Uh, all together thing, right? Let's keep reading. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You See it? Tied into that oneness is the love. He's saying in verse 23, I want the world to, I want to display to the world that in the same way the Father has loved Jesus, we've loved them. And you have loved them as you have loved me. This love that's going on in the Trinity, this one that is that is united and based in love. He's going, I want them to be one so that they display that love on the earth. You following this? Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. What's this about? It's about the Father's love for Jesus. Getting it? O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me, may be in them, and I in them. You see it? I am utterly convinced that the Shema, the one, is about love. I put this in bold in your notes, uh, so you couldn't mistake it. The Trinity, I think this is what he's saying. I think what he's saying, hear, O Israel, really hear this, really understand this, really get this, really proclaim this, Israel. The Lord our God is one. I think he's saying the Trinity is unified in intense love. I think he's just saying, uh, Israel, hear me. We really love each other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They didn't get all that totally at that point. They kind of did. Or we didn't have that revelation fully. But the Godhead is intensely in love with each other. That's what he's declaring. That's the tie. That's why the second part of it is responsive love, because he's talking about the love that the Godhead has for each other. Does this make sense? Are you following me? Okay, so the Trinity is unified in intense love. And I think uh, we ought to just ponder that often. What does it mean for God to love God? What does it mean? What does the love of the Father for the Son look like? Because apparently it's the same love He has for us, right? What does that mean? Does God love me with this kind of intensity? Does God love me really like He loves Jesus? That's worth thinking about. Let me give you a couple of verses out of the New Testament uh, that sort of support this whole idea. Ephesians 1.6 says, Uh, Paul says he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, we have been accepted into the family of God. Before Jesus made a way, the family of God was the Trinity. That's it. He calls that the beloved. He didn't say we've been accepted into heaven, even though you get to go. We've been accepted into the family, even though you have been accepted into the family. He said, you've been accepted into the beloved. Think about that term. Paul says, you've been accepted into uh, the oneness of love. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who are united in intense love. I'm just going to call that the beloved. And you get to be in that. Right? This is the language Paul used. In Colossians 1.13, I love this language. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Hey God, why did you make a kingdom? Well, it's the kingdom of the son of my love. I love Jesus so much. I made a kingdom and I based the entire thing around my love for Jesus. You get that? He made a kingdom and he based the whole thing around his love. For his son And then he loved us so much, he gave that same son, John 3:16, so that we could join the beloved. Let that weigh on you. Think about that. I made a whole kingdom just based on my love for my son, and then I gave the one I love so intensely so that you could join the beloved. And you could begin to participate in that love with me. You could love him with me. I made a way for you to join me in loving the Son and be accepted in the Beloved. Now, those are simple words, but that is a profound concept. We should let that weigh on us. Amen? Amen? And you begin to get a glimpse of his love for us. And that's why I want to say this. I believe that uh, the great commandment is more invitation than command. I don't think he's saying, uh, love me, earn it. I think he's saying, here's an invitation. Or in other words, here is the path to a relationship with God. The path to a relationship with God is not works. It's not uh, being good enough or righteous enough. It's, it's love. If you, if you want to join the Godhead, the path is responsive love. We love here. And if you want to be a part of us, I'm just asking for love. I think that's what he's saying. I think he's identifying the path. Now, now that we've talked about that, I want to go back and I I want to read the Shema again. uh, But I want to read all the way to verse 15 because I want you to see the context of what God's talking about. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. Verse 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. What was the problem with the Pharisees? Their hearts were far from it. They weren't in their heart. They were in their phylacteries, and they were in their mezuzah, but they weren't in their heart. Now, we can get just as religious about relationship with God, can't we? And have things that we do or say, but they aren't in our heart. So he's saying, these things shall be in your heart. And then again, this is how important. And again, remember, he's talking about his oneness, his love, a revelation of the love, uh, the, the intense love that dwells in the Godhead or that the Godhead dwells in. And he's talking about this and he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. That's the uh, thing I was talking about. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so they were literally doing that. They were literally putting it on the doorpost and binding it on their forehead or on their arm. But God wasn't saying do that To prove you love me, he was saying, do that to remind yourselves how much I love you. And I'm looking for a love response. Remember uh, that I am one in love. Uh, It's not just wearing it around. It's not just carrying our Bibles, right? Mm -hmm. Is this making sense? And so, it's got me looking at, uh, oh, I'm sorry, let me finish reading. I only got to, how far did I get? I got to verse 9. So verse 10, so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give, you a large, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full. In other words, once you've come into the land and I've blessed you and expressed my love toward you. Then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, what did he not want them to forget? His love for them, right? What does he not want us to forget? His love for for us. Lest you forget, uh, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Sounds like that marriage thing again, doesn't it? Don't go, remember, I love you. Don't go after other gods, I'll get jealous. That's all he's saying. And we see that later in the the Old Testament, again and again and again. He talks about how they've gone after God, other gods, how they've played the harlot and how he's calling them back because he loves them. Return to me, says the Lord. Return to me, says the Lord. He's talking about returning to love. And so the very thing they're saying day by day is, a, is to be a reminder of the intense love that exists in the Godhead and the invitation to respond to that love wholeheartedly. Does this make sense? Yes. So... Again, I believe uh, it's about the path. I uh, one of the verses that uh, is now actually uh, I read it a little bit different as of yesterday. I get in Revelation too, guys. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. Love this verse. You will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. He's talking prophetically to Israel at the time when they would come back from the Babylonian captivity, right? And I would have told you uh, that that means that search for him with all heart means, you know, intense prayer and worship and going after it and, and just digging in and going after God. And it does, and there's other verses about persistence, but I'm seeing it a little differently now. I don't think he's saying that the path to him is about effort or about obligation. I think he's saying the path to him is responsive love. I think he's saying you will seek me and find me when you don't do it with your head, you do it with your heart. You will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you remember that we love each other and that we love you and when you begin to respond with that love. That's all I think he's saying. You will seek me and find me when you come at me with love. When you come back at me with love, yeah. right? Does this make sense? Yeah. And it is a two-part scenario. First uh, John 4:19, probably many of you are probably familiar with this verse. "We love him because you see the two parts? What part comes first? He loves us, and then we love him. We never started it. He always started it. He is love. The Trinity is unified in intense love. That intense love is directed toward us. He's looking for a response. And so, uh, if I were to uh, have to simplify or whatever this morning, give you, you know, Tony's passion translation of the Shema, (laughs) whatever, I'd say it this way. God is saying, here, listen, understand, Church on the Rock, We dwell in intense love. Part two, join us. That's it. That's the Shema. That's the great commandment. God saying to you, we dwell in intense love. Intense love. We are one in love. And it's towards you. Would you like to join us? That's it. That's it. That's what... Israel's saying twice a day. Now, it's important that we see that it's two parts because we can't just love Him. It is responsive. We need a revelation of His love to love Him. We really do. And that's why it's so important that we believe what the Scriptures say and not what our feelings tell us or what the devil tells us about His love towards us. Right? We need a revelation of his love. That's really what that declaration is. Hear, O Israel, understand the Lord is one. Hear, Church on the Rock, understand you've got to get a revelation of his love. God's love for God, God's love for you. Then you can respond with wholehearted love. Let me leave you with John 15, 9. Is something to ponder, maybe to pray, maybe to think about. John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father loved me, you want to think about that? How much the Father loves Jesus? He's been declaring since Deuteronomy 6, We are one in love. I really love Jesus. I intensely love Jesus. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Stay in the place of revelation of my love for you. You get this? In the same way, I mean, you got to hear Jesus speaking to you. Jesus is looking you in the eyes and going in the same way the Father loves me, I love you. I want you to stay in that place of love. I want you to stay in that place of revelation. Do your best, no matter what happens, to remember that. Hear, O Church on the Rock. The Father loves me, and I love you. You get it? Right, so I'm going to ask the worship band to come back up. And uh, God, because this is all he ever does, is going to love you intensely. And as we're seeing worship songs, you can feel free to join in that love at any level you want, because you have been accepted in the Beloved. Amen? How many of you have been accepted in the Beloved? You know it. All right. Father, I pray this morning, as we go back into worship, Lord, first of all, I just say thank you. We we get it. We hear, we remember uh, your intense love for us. And we say thank you Thank you, Jesus. We just want to love you back. We love you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I love that on some level it's so simple that we just respond to you by saying, yes, we love you too. Lord, thank you. And I pray this morning for Church on the Rock, for Melbourne and Palm Bay, for this whole region. We ask for an increase in the revelation of the knowledge of your love. or we ask for an increase in understanding uh, of these things we've talked about. That you are one in love and you've directed that towards us. In Jesus' name. Just to encourage you to stand. I'm going to turn it back over to the band. And uh, we have got lots of time just to have fun with the one who loves us intensely. Amen?